Hello and welcome to Evolving Enterprise. We'll talk to businesses here in the city of Johnstown, Cambria County, Pennsylvania, and surrounding areas. In particular, businesses that have been sustainable over multiple generations in this Rust Belt region by expanding their reach to outside territories, whether it be across neighboring counties, the tri-state area, the nation, or across the world. I'm your host, Russ O'Reilly, reporter for the Tribune Democrat. Now, let me introduce you to our guests today and give you some background for their story. When Richard Jacobs' workplace burned down, he had two options. One, find another job, which would likely require him to move out of the area, or start his own company. Jacobs founded North Fork Grinding and Machining in 2005. The business located on Route 403 or Tire Hill Road, just on the border of Cambria and Somerset counties, produces equipment for the recycling industry and U.S. defense contracts. Jacobs ships his company's products throughout states bordering Pennsylvania and as far as California. In recent years, he's positioned the company to continue under the leadership of his daughter, Kara McRae. Jacobs started his manufacturing business focusing on the recycling industry, but pivoted to U.S. defense as that sector began to bring dollars to the Johnstown area in the 2000s. He made the transition with guidance from JARI, short for Johnstown Area Regional Industries, a nonprofit economic development organization. And since then, his company routinely has worked as a subcontractor for other Johnstown companies in the defense industry, including JWF, formerly called Johnstown Welding and Fabrication. Last year, JWF began making a whole line of tactical utility vehicles under a multi-year contract with Flyer Defense. Thanks for being here. No problem. So you don't have signs on your building? No. And I couldn't even find you. I drove up and down Route 403, and eventually I asked around and I found it. But just tell me about like you don't need to you don't need to sign you don't need no um actually I rent the building um which right now we're in the process of buying the building and then um I rent it off of Simcoe Driveline which is why the sign's still up there but he's retiring so once he moves out and I take possession of the building there will be a sign put up I didn't know if it was because you don't need to advertise maybe no I don't advertise it pretty much at all um just word of mouth has a lot to do with it. And we're really busy with the air, uh, different businesses in this area. JWF is one of my big customers. Um, so with them and my other stuff that I do, I just don't really want to, I don't want to take in off the street people uh, because we, we're so modernized that I don't want to do onesie twosie parts. We want to do production runs. Some lingo, I, did, I guess I don't understand. Onesie twosie part. Yeah, so... <laughs> When, in our industry, when you get a one-op part, so instead of, like, if you came to me and you wanted me to make this part, and it's one of them, till we do all of it, it costs us too much money to make one part than it would to make 300 of those. So a lot of times, like I said, is people will come in with a broken spline, and, and I just don't have the time with all our production our our equipment is set up to do production runs. So we're, we're used to doing 100 parts of the same part, 300 parts, 50 parts. When you get down to one, till you set up the machine, do all the work, it, it just isn't cost effective. Well, can you tell me about the kind of parts that you make? Um, we make parts for the defense right now. Um, I do so also make cutting blades for the recycling industry. And what I mean by that is anything that cuts material, steel, choppers, they call them, tire shredders to shred the tires. We make the knives for inside of those to cut cut up the tires into chips and 
crumb rubber and all that. So we, we do that, not so much more of that now. That was kind of when I first started the business is when we did the, the, the recycling. We started, when I started in the business in 2005, I came into it as a re- building recycling equipment and replacement parts for inside those tire shredders. And then recycling started to drop off because the go green stuff that the government was putting wasn't putting the money back into it. So we had to make a shift in what we manufacture. Um, so then we went into the defense because we seen that would be the place to have where the money would be made. So that's when we shifted more into the defense side of the. Was that a, a difficult shift? It was a difficult shift because um, we had to get ISO certified. That's one of the certifications. That what what that means is you got to come in and be certified by the government that says, yeah, this company is certified to manufacture our parts. So, and it we had to, with the help of Jory, I contacted Jory, said, hey, we need to get ISO certified because we want to start into the defense. And it took us about a year to get certified. And there's a ton of paperwork that went along with that. I mean, like all our machines had to be certified, all our equipment, everything that we use in the shop had to be sent out and calibrated is what they call it. So they had, so that their standards, our tooling is the government standards. So we had to do all that to shift over into the defense end of it. And even after you're certified, was there any guarantee that you would get contracts? No, none at all. Um, with the help of Jory and working with Johnstown Welding and Fabricating, we had told them that we were looking into getting into that. Is there any way we could help? That They said, once you get certified, we can help. We'll start sending you some work. So I had it, and it wasn't a guarantee, but I had it talked to enough people in the area to know that I have something at the at the end of all this. So yes, yeah, it, it didn't become guaranteed, but it I knew I had something coming because Jory helped out a lot with that. And you've been doing it for years and years now. We started in the defense in, in probably around 2015, um, maybe is when we first, and I'm not sure of that date, um, but yeah, my daughter came on board after she went to college and then didn't finish college. She came back and then she did all the, like you have to build um, a quality system is what they call. Um, she built a quality system, which is our standards that we have to follow, which is what they require. So she went in, built the quality system. We met with some people from uh, CTC. Jari hooked us up with people from Ed Schallenbach, actually, from CTC. And he helped us get through our quality system we had to put together um, through with her and my daughter, with him and my daughter. They they built the system. Then you have to, once you get the system in place, then you have to follow it. Like every 10th part has to be measured and documented. When we get a job in, we have a worksheet that has to be followed. So when we start our first, when we machine up our first part, we have to measure everything about it. It's called first articling. And you have to measure and make sure all those dimensions are within tolerances. And what I mean by tolerances is that, like, you got a dimension, say, one inch plus a half inch minus a half inch. That's not the way it is, but I'm trying to teach you that way it goes. 
So as long as we hold into those, for say we measure our part and it's one inch sixty thou, we're still within our tolerance range. So then we write all that down on a on a piece of paper. The first two parts then come back into the office and we verify that those parts are within specs. And then the worker continues to run the rest of them. And then every tenth part is measured. Once we get them, once we verify the first two then we can go into a production run and then every 10th part coming out of the machine has to be measured and documented. So there's a lot of paperwork that goes along being ISO certified. Looking back at where you started and and now what you do, what comes to mind? A lot more paperwork than what I used to do. I mean, when I started back, I started a company in 2005. I worked for a company in Somerset that burnt down in 2004. Um, when he didn't want to rebuild, I thought I either go work for somebody or build my or start my own company. Um, so I thought I, I when I worked for the guy in Somerset, I did all his sales, his quoting, scheduled work through the guys in the shop, and I thought to myself, "Hey, I'm doing it. I did it for him for a long time. Why can't I do this on my own?" Um, had a lot of. Uh, resistance from my ex-wife she didn't want me to make the jump but we did we I made the jump bought our first piece of equipment and then just build it up from there and now when I started in 2005 I had one machine and now I have 12 machines from 2005 till today was there a point in time you know where your company grew the most and yeah once we hit uh, my company grew the most in the defense end because um, I had three machines, and then we started getting in bigger contracts of parts that need made. Like, we're running parts now into the 17,000 pieces. And so we're just, we had, we actually, we just bought a new machine here in 2022 at the end of it in October. I just bought another machine. What kind of machine? A lathe. We bought a CNC lathe because um, we looked into a contract that they sent me a quote in. And we couldn't, we couldn't produce that kind of. It was seventeen thousand, by the way. And we couldn't produce it with the one machine we had, so we needed to put the second one in to be able to meet. Because you got to meet, like, so at a seventeen thousand piece order, we got to put out some a thousand pieces a week, and we couldn't do that. I mean, there's just not enough manpower on one machine to do that. So that's why we bought the second machine to. We can run two machines which makes it easier for the guys that are running them. How many employees do you have? Nine. It's really fascinating the way the defense industry works with subcontractors. You're an example of this kind of web of uh, companies that are making different parts for what ultimately ultimately becomes a, a military vehicle or some kind of weapon that the military uses. Right. Yeah, we're helping, we're helping um, build the military. We do parts for the military vehicle. Um, from bumpers to spindles to hinges. We make a ton of hinges for the a military. Vi- I don't know where they go, but we do make parts. I, I mean, we see different... Um, the JWF is doing the F-72. Is that where you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that new uh, vehicle they're manufacturing yeah. right now. So we're making the components that goes into that vehicle. And actually, I think... Probably about fifty to sixty percent of the parts in that vehicle is made by us. 
So yeah, we're doing a lot of different parts for that. So did you grow up in this area? Yes. Yeah, back I grew up um, in Johnst in Johnstown. Actually, I lived out by I lived out by in the in the country by the North Fork Dam. Went to school. My uncle was a machinist, and I just was fascinated by making stuff out of steel. I mean, you start with a drawing, and then you end up with an end product. And so I went into Votech in 1980. I started at Votech in the machine shop industry. Um, went and got my associate's degree in tool and die technology. That might be, that's just more, just a specific techno, uh, term for a machinist. Uh, became an apprentice, which is an, another step up. I mean, each step in the machinist industry, you go from machinist to tool and die to apprentice to journeyman. And I, through the course of the years, I have gathered up all that, the certifications, and then started working in my a company in Somerset. I started there in 1988 and worked there till 2005. And then, like I said, the only reason why I left there was because the company burned down. And then I started my company in 2000. And, actually, the company burned down in 2004, and then I started in March of 2005. What were your, uh, some of the other options for you, your workplace-wise, back in the 1980s? What was the expectation? As far as I could have moved out of town. I mean, I had other job opportunities to move out of town, and I just... I kind of like this area. This area was always nice. You know, you had a lot. I'm an avid hunter, so, you know, I, I hunt a lot and fish, and, you know, I like the outdoors and stuff. And I always was kind of happy with the area. I mean, it kind of died off in the industry a little bit, but it's coming back. What were some examples of the industries that were around maybe back in the 80s whenever you were studying to be a uh, Bethlehem Steel was here, Johnstown, or yeah, Johnstown America, which was the railroad industry. Um, I mean, there was other dye shops that I could have went to. They were making dyes for like Lice Tool and Dye was one in Somerset. So there was other big major industries here. And then, as you know, they kind of dropped off. And I mean, Bethlehem Steel is out and Johnstown American and railroad companies out. Um, which brought in Johnstown Welding, which is a pretty, pretty nice company to work for. Yeah, and it's awesome that you've made your own company. You know, you, these big companies moved out. You talked to the opportunity to expand your own opportunities. And, of course, you know, with JWF, with the, the inroads to the uh, defense industry. Yeah, I started actually started with JWF in their commercial end, and um, they were looking into going into the defense in, and I just figured that would be where I want to be. I want, I mean, commercial in is good. It's a lot of parts, but the defense in is where I wanted to be. And not only that, my daughter, Kara, she, when she came on board, she really wanted to pursue that end of it. Cause I don't know the pay. There's a ton of paperwork that goes with that. And she kind of does all the paperwork. That goes. Yes, well, I mean, this is shaping up to be a, a multi-generational business. Yes. Family. Yeah. Actually, her husband, I hired him on. He was a senior in high school, and I hired him on, trained him a little bit. He's taken, he kind of runs the shop now. Uh, he does stuff that I don't want to do um, because it's just I'm getting up in age and don't want to take on these big responsibilities where he does. So, you know, so when I, in 2016, I said to my daughter, I'm like, look, 
I'm going to sell you a portion of my company. And uh, so she were part owners in it. She she's the majority owner. I'm just I'm under her a little bit. But, you know, like they just had a granddaughter here a year ago. And I'm hoping that they it keeps carrying on through the family. I think that would be the way I want it to go. When it gets to that point, what's the, the, the legacy that you want yourself to leave? Um, just that I hope that it stays in the family and that, you know, her kids might end up with it and just keep it going. Um, I mean, I worked hard to keep it there and with help from her and her, her husband, we've built it up a little bit bigger than I wanted to be. I always was like keeping it small, but they wanted to grow it, which was okay. So now that they grew it, you know, it's more responsibilities that they, they've been taken care of. So I hope my legacy is that they continue to keep it going, and I think they will. I mean, he's doing a lot of work. Enix, her husband, and he's doing a lot of work for that, uh, making pro like all our machines is computer program. So we sit at a computer and make up the programs on how we run our parts in our machine. And he does he does a lot of the programming now. I mean, I can still do it, but he he's taken it a little further than I I have. So. He, I mean, as long as he can continue to program parts, I see it keep going for a long time to come. So what you're describing is kind of an automation process? That must be important to maintain a, a business with what we're having now, a labor shortage. Right. That's a big challenge. The problem that I have is keep, not getting employees because when you have a company, a big the big companies around this area, they're they're picking up all the machinists. So... Kind of what I've done is taking kids that don't know nothing and training them. That's where I, and hope that they, you know, we pay them a decent salary that they can stay on, you know, um, because I can't compete with the bigger industries in this area as a small business. So we we work with bringing kids out of high school and training them and teaching them how to do the things that we need them to do. And again, it's just a kind of a small family of employees, not nine people, right? Yeah. Can you take me back to whenever you were in the recycling industry and what transpired to, you know, kind of push that to the, the back burner? When I was in the recycling industry, I worked in the recycling where I used to work in Somerset. Well, I'm sorry. Well, I mean, whenever you had your, your you set up your own business, North Fork, right. grinding machining, and you were making tire shredders, right. but then you said uh, the federal government kind of squashed that. No, they didn't squash it personally for me. What they did, the government back in the, they had that go green thing where they were giving out grants to these recycling industries. So that was back in the Clinton administration. So when he got out of office, they kind of not gave the grant money out availability or was available. Um, so what they did is, so the industry kind of died off a little bit. People weren't shredding tires like they were or recycling plastic or anything like that it still happens don't get me wrong what were they doing with it if they weren't shredding it um landfilling it yeah they were putting it back in the landfills like i think um i had a company down in baltimore maryland um which is one of the largest uh owned personally owned now there's bigger company bigger recycling companies but a manual tire was uh, owned by himself. So it was the largest company owned 
by an individual, I should say, not with stockholders or anything like that. And um, I designed a machine for him back when I worked at Emirates. Well, when Emirates burnt down, I met with him and said, hey, look, if I start my own business, can I depend on your work to, you know, to keep going? And he's like, we, we were very close friends because of what I did and helped him get through his problems. And he's like, yeah, actually, my one machine, he bought it for me. My, my first CNC machining center, he went out and bought it for me and said, here, this will help you make my product. So it did help. I didn't have the money that he put into that machine. Actually, I still have that machine today. Um, and we started building more parts for him. And like I said, and then it just slowly started. I mean, people weren't using tire shredding when it first started. But I think it's coming back because I see more and more um, stadiums with crumb rubber in those AstroTurf stadiums and stuff. Um, I know my daughter played soccer uh, through high school and travel soccer. And when we'd go around to different uh, areas, football stadiums, we'd find more and more crumb rubber. So I think that's becoming a big industry again. We still make, we still manufacture parts for, like I still have shredder parts that I make for my guy, my customer in Baltimore. Um, so I know he's still shredding tires. He shreds a million tires a month. So he has multiple shredders going on down there. So we still manufacture parts for my shredder that's sitting in his facility. But like I said, it, it's we were doing, like I was sending, making knives and parts for all through the United States, and I slowly started to see them going out of business. And the only one I do work for, that's why I say there was a, a slow up in recycling because the only company I do work for in the recycling industry is Emanuel Tire. The rest of them are out of business. They've closed up. Yeah, and I don't know why. I, I really can't answer. Yeah, it sounds like it's, it's it's a good idea to shred tires rather than landfill them. Right. That's what's happening? Well, I, I don't know. I know uh, Emanuel because, I mean, that's the only one I'm still dealing with right at the moment. They still make crumb rubber, playground material, the, the rubber that goes into the stadiums and stuff like that. The other ones that kind of went out of business, I don't know what their product was. Um, and then you transition to the defense industry. Which is also- well, like I said, we started to slow up on um, making knives. I shouldn't say it fell off. Another big problem that we ran into was the overseas market. We're bringing in stuff cheaper than we could manufacture it. That was that was another problem where like we were making this one knife and we were selling it at thirty dollars. Next thing I know, my friend down in Baltimore, he's like, "Hey, Rich, he's like, I can get these parts from overseas for like eighteen, and I'm like, I can't, I can't compete with that. My material cost was fifteen until I machined it, heat treated it, and ground it. I was, you know, I was making some, but I wasn't making a killing on them." I, I can't compete with eighteen dollars. I don't like you know what buy them. I, I I'm I'm not gonna lower my price. That was a lot of the other things. The knives that we were manufacturing, the overseas market started bringing them in. I mean, I can show you a box that says uh, "Made in Vietnam" of blades that I used to make in in the United States. So that's the other thing too that started coming around was people were buying their blades and re, uh, cutting knives overseas. Because they were cheaper. We're right in the thick of some of the, the 
challenges that your business has pushed forward through? What else might there be? Uh, other than those three major ones, uh, I mean, trying to keep people keep people working is, I mean, we have work. There's work in this area. If you got a business that's growing like ours right now, I mean, you come in on the bottom floor, and as we grow, you grow. That's my, you know, that's been my concept. So I, I always was taught that if you're in a growing, that's why I stated, you know, I worked at Emirates Grinding for 20 years because it was a business that was small, and then it, we, we kept growing and growing and growing. I mean, and it was just, and I was part of that growth, which made me feel important, I guess, you know, and wanted to stay with it. And like I said, had the company not burned down, maybe I'd have never started Norfolk Grinding and Machining. I mean, you know, he kind of forced me into either go work for, you know, another machine shop at a low, now you're, you're I mean, when you are have your own office in a facility doing all your own stuff and now you lost that job, do I start at the bottom again and have to work my way up? And I mean, that's the some of the things that I had to think of. Okay, do I really want to start at the bottom again? No. So what's the next step? So I'll start my own business. Then I can control what I'm doing. What are, what's some advice you might have for other people who want to start their own businesses in the area? Make sure, when I started my business, make sure you have at least work. I mean, you, if you don't have work, when I started my business, okay, I had get the right people in place or the right accountant, the right lawyer, because there's a lot of things that, I mean, I'm a machinist. I'm, I mean, I've learned over 17 years, don't get me wrong, but I didn't know how to start a business. So I met with a lawyer. I met with an accountant. And we, through, you know, them guy, giving me the guidance I need, um, they helped me get my business up and started, where to go with it. You know, and when I mean what to go, do I want to be incorporated? Do I want to be a sole proprietor? Do I want to be an LLC? I don't know what I want to be. I, I just want to be in a business, you know. So, you know, with the help of them, they said, this is where you need to, my accountant, who I still have today, said, do you want to be incorporated? So we went, that's why we're incorporated. We set up, got the, you have to get the fictitious name filed. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to file to get a business started. So my advice to somebody that wants to start a business, get the proper people in place. Because you might know what you're, how to make things, but if you don't know the paperwork, it could get you into a lot of trouble. So that's what I'm saying. And then what I did, I already had customers because when I worked at Emirates, I had met with, I was his sales, I was on the road selling a little bit, meeting with my customers. So it, that helped me because all I did is say, hey, look, he's not reopening. I'm going to reopen. Can I depend on your work? And everybody's like, yeah, you know, you we know what kind of quality of work you do. We That would be great because right now we're stumbling trying to find somebody to do the work. So I at least had a customer base going into my business. Um, met when I, when I started my company, I bought my first piece of equipment. I was two days a week. I was driving around selling, picking up work, coming back, getting it done because I had no income. I never collected unemployment at all through all this. So I'd come back, work like a dog for three days, getting all the work done, take it back, deliver it, pick up new customer. I mean, so the first six months was a struggle for me. Not a struggle. I kind of, it was a challenge, I should say, um, to get work because, you know, I have a family to support. I have payments to make, you know. So I just, and then slowly I hired a person 
and then just started building it up from there. And where would you be? Where would you be delivering to? Uh, I had a company up in Baltimore. I met with a guy in Baltimore. That was my first go-to guy because I figured I'd have his work. Well, not not too far. Then that's that's a drive. Yeah, three-hour drive. But I would drive up to Williamsport. I had a customer up in Williamsport. I had customers in West Virginia, um, and then just locally here. Okay. Um, that I would drive around, but you know, like I said, to, we would hit every two weeks. I had to go to like. When I started in the sharpening, which is the grinding end, that's what I started my company on. I'd had a company in Fairmont, West Virginia, that I'd have to go there every two weeks, pick up and deliver parts. Same with Williamsport. So I had a, a routine, like every two weeks, I had to go pick up their dull blades, bring them and give them their sharp blades. So we started into a, a cycle. Um, so I would come back, sharpen them. I had two weeks to get them sharpened, get them ready to go, and then I'd go back, pick up more, drop off. And it was just, so there I was driving to West Virginia every two weeks, plus I would go to Williamsport every two weeks. And then did you expand farther from that? Uh, no, um, that was pretty much in Baltimore, Maryland was kind of my area. Locally, um, when I say sharpening, when I first started, we used to sharpen shear blades for the sheet metal industry, so I had a lot of them customers doing their shear blades. Uh, Williamsport, I had Alcan Cable, where I was sharpening their uh, chopper knives every week. Al uh, Fairmont was another set of blades. And then I would do Zamboni blades for like the War Memorial and Pittsburgh area and Altoona, like all the ice rinks. I had that industry I was still doing. Um, so I that just was working with that. I kind of, you know, built it, started up there. Um, the guy from Baltimore, Emmanuel, he's, he called me up. He's like, Hey, I need you to make more blades. And I'm like, well, I can't get the machine. I need to, I don't have the money to buy the machine. And he's like, what do you need? And I'm like, a CNC machining center would be nice. He's like, pick one out and I'll send you the money. So that kind of helped me out. I mean, he really helped me out a lot. Um, well, he needed you. Yeah. Yeah. So we started with it. So we bought the first CNC machine. And I started making more knives and then, you know, hiring. So it, it just, you just start out small and just build it up. And you eventually hired a driver to make the deliveries and no? I still do the driving. Yeah, I did. I had a friend of mine who retired. Um, he, he was up in age. And when we were doing the Zamboni blades through Pittsburgh, he would, I got to stay and I said, hey, why don't you just do this driving? So once a month he would take my, Zamboni blades through Pittsburgh. So, so how do you deliver your products now? My truck. I mean, I do a lot of the deliveries because while I'm out, I'm looking for new businesses and stuff. While I'm out doing some driving and delivering, um, right now I'm not really looking for anybody because we're so busy as we are now. So, um, but I do keep things like a document, a log of companies that I want to. If we ever slow down. That I say, oh, well, maybe I can go and get something from this company or whatever, you know. So I guess as far as being strategic in your expansion, it's it's like you you're choosing places that aren't too far away from the Johnstown area, so you can drive to them, make contacts, get your products to them, and then and then and, and on a cyclical basis. Right, and another thing you got to look in, in the machining industry, like we're into, there's machine shops all over Pennsylvania. So what you got to do is you got to think about 
because we did we got slow here right after covid hey we went out on the road me and enoch my son-in-law and i went out on the road to try to drum up some business a little bit what we ran into to make parts you better be cheap because there's other machine shops closer so you you, you kind of don't want to get too far out because they're they're going to say well why should we go to you when I got a machine shop down the street, which is what we were running into. So the way I looked at it is my grinding. There's not a lot of grinders. I have a 15-foot surface grinder in my view. I don't know if you've seen that real long machine where people don't grind no more and sharpen. So what I did is went out after the sharpening end of it. I went back to my old roots and started saying, hey, well, we can sharpen these blades for you and picking up companies to make product like they said, why should we go with you? That's what we run into. Why should we go with you when I got a machine shop down the street and you're two hours away or you're an hour away? Then I'm going to pay for freight. You know, it's going to cost me more than I can to offer this guy. So then you just got to play the game to think, okay, what can I do that he can't do, which is sharpening or grinding, you know? So then you go after the grinding in. Yeah, I was going to ask you how grinding works. Do you... Yeah, so we're grinding. Well, we do different things. Like we'll get in parts that have to grind to a specific thickness, need a certain uh, finish on them, which is where the grinding comes in. Uh, grinding my big knife grinder that I have, it's sharp. We sharpen granulator knives, shear blades, press break dies. This might sound that you don't know what I'm talking about, but what a shear does is a shear will cut sheet metal. So they get dull, and they're like 10 foot long. So then we take those shears from you and we regrind them, redress them, bring them back, because it's cheaper for me to resharpen them than it is for you to go buy new ones. And then the Zamboni blades, you know, they use at least a a blade a week shaving these ice rinks and stuff. And then so we go down and we pick them up and we bring them back and put a nice edge back on and it's tough. So what's your strategy for growing in the future? Continually to go with the machine of parts. Um, I know Johnstown Welding is, is growing bigger and bigger. They're always looking for more and more help. Um, stick with the defense. The defense industry has been a blessing for us, and it helps. it's been expanding us because they just keep getting more, and we keep trying to help them make more parts. And we're close. That's the other thing. With them, we're, we're right in their back door, so they're not driving and transporting parts all over the place. We're doing them right here in their backyard, so that's helped. Thanks for listening. Until next time, check out other Tribune Democrat podcasts at tribdem.com or platforms including Spotify.